Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Well, I will tell you one of the benefits of conducting interviews in the education and really the innovation space is that over time you get to experience people of, of varying levels of expertise, uh, legacies, and, you know, quite frankly, I'm the beneficiary of getting introduced to some really, really accomplished people and companies. And today we're going to continue that trend. We're going to be speaking with Andy Rosen. He's the chairman and CEO of Kaplan. I mean, I, Kaplan is a name that everybody knows. It's a brand across the world. They're serving more than a million learners each year with operations in approximately 30 countries and partnerships with nearly 2,000 universities, colleges, schools, and school districts, as well as, as, well as more than 4,000 employers worldwide. Andy, great to spend some time with you. We, we caught up uh, earlier this spring at the infamous or the, the famous ASU GSV conference, as we were saying offline. Uh, it's sort of the place to be, right, for people that are in the education space and the business of education. When I read off a bio that I'm sure you could be, you could say in your sleep about Kaplan because you've been there for a number of years, uh, what resonates with you right now as we're talking when you think about the number of either partnerships or people or students that you're serving? Because we're at a, I feel like we're at an, we're sort of at a really interesting juncture in education, right? whether it's been COVID or it's been uh, as a result of tragedy, or we talk about the big quit, sort of the designation with regards to the great resignation that people are sort of looking at. There's a lot of change, a lot of flux in the industry. Uh, what do you look at when you think about Kaplan's role at the table as we sit here today? Well, uh, first of all, good to be with you, Rod. Good to see you again. Um, and thank you for having me. You know, look, I, I look at, um, and today is an example where there's a lot of change in education, but I've been, I've been in education for a long time and there's always been a lot of change. So, um, you know, at Kaplan, we try not to get, you know, to chase the next, uh, you know, squirrel or theme or, you know, like, but really think about where the world is going in the long run. And so, you know, look, when Stanley founded the company, he, you know, he, Stanley Kaplan uh, founded not just the company Kaplan, he founded the test prep industry and he founded, uh, really, the notion of an educational services company it didn't exist before him. There were publishing companies, but companies that provided high quality services in diversified locations, um, you know, around the country and around the world. That just didn't exist before he came along. So he's really was the you know progenitor for the whole education industry in a real sense. And you know, over the years, gosh, I could go to so many examples, but you know, with online education and online higher ed, Kaplan has been a driver, but all, mainly it's because we try to think not about what are the current little, you know, swirls going on, but where is education going? And, you know, just in, in fact, you know, the book that I wrote a decade ago, I talked about, you know, the future of education would be, you know, more mobile, more personalized, you know, more outcomes focused, more accessible, and more global. Uh, and all of those things would be built around more, you know, more focused on work readiness. So, you know, those are those are themes that I think are clearly going to happen. They're, they're, they're almost certainties. And so uh, Kaplan has tried to build it. We, we've tried to build Kaplan around where the world is going so that as we get there, Kaplan is, is prepared to serve uh, a broad audience. So, you know, I guess 
you know, at ASCGSV, you constantly see a lot of companies that are just focused on today's issue. And, at, you know, Kaplan, what we try to do is focus on the issues that are, are almost inevitable over a long period of time. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I do want to talk a little bit about your book because I think it's fascinating we, when we can look at something that's sort of that's, you know, a decade old in that regard to see where we were right or where we maybe missed the boat or things we didn't even think about. But what's fascinating, even in your response, you talked about it. And I remember when we chatted, there's a there's a steadiness to you that I think mirrors what you just said when you talked about, look, we're not going to just sort of chase, and I'm using my words, we're not going to just chase our own tail or we're not going to go after sort of the new fad or the sort of the thing that we think people are going to want to talk about. Help me understand, take me inside, if you will, sort of give me a guest pass inside Kaplan. And how do you think about that? Because to me, it's not just in essence, one person's voice, that being you as, as, as chairman of Kaplan, but that it's it's sort of a theme. It's a spirit of a company that says, look, there's, we're going to have a lot of inbound uh, interest and sort of things that want to force us to change, but we maybe know better. How do you keep that going over time? Because there are 17,000 plus and climbing, that could be 20 now, when we think about education companies around the world of all shapes and sizes that could only hope to be of Kaplan in you know decades past. Uh, but how do you maintain that from a leadership perspective? Because I, I don't want to overlook that as being a core competency of Kaplan. And by default, probably, in my estimation, a benefit to the users of Kaplan or the clients or customers to say, look, I'd rather be, you know, this is sort of, you know, it's like the stock market. Am I going to just sort of flip out when I see something change in the immediate or am I going to sort of stay for the long game, the long haul? So how do we understand that internally from a leadership perspective and how that might trickle down into what you're offering the market? Well, I think you posted exactly right, Rod, because um, you don't just think about a company being long-term oriented. You think about your customers, your students being long-term oriented um, and the universities and companies that we serve. So education is a, is a funny industry in that um, it typically takes place over you know, a, an extended period of time. So university education, they take four years or often longer than that. Um, uh, but the but the results of that education take place over a lifetime. And so I, I think one of the mistakes that can happen in education is companies are focused, so focused on the here and now that they lose track of the fact that they are that are your customers expect you to be with them for their lifetime. That if you cut it is possible to cut corners in the short term, but your customers will pay the price in the long term. And if you want to be in a part of a company that is delivering for the long term, you've got to be really thinking about how does this play out in this person, you know, 10 years from now for this person or 20 years from now with this person, not just because, you know, ideally they become customers again for other products, but because they're the ones who are creating your brand and creating your, your um, reputation in the marketplace. I think we're very lucky that we are part of uh an extraordinarily long-term oriented company. So Graham Holdings, you know, which is the, the renamed uh, Washington Post company, you know, after we sold the Washington Post newspaper, but is a company that uh, has never focused on, you know, quarterly earnings. It's about growing in the long-term, building quality in the long-term. And I think that's, that's the ideal kind of owner of an education company because culturally here, culturally here at Kaplan, we all um, are, are very long-term oriented and the only pressure we get from our, our 
corporate parent is to be long-term oriented. So it's a very uh, uh, optimal, I think it's an optimal environment for, for a company. But you also made another point, Rod, if I can. That, sure. Uh, you know, that, you know, this is not about me. It's about our, our, our company. We have people here who care very much about, you know, building their career in an environment that enables them to do good things for people over the long term. And, and our belief is that if you do that, you know, the company will do well and the individuals will do that do well. But the ordering is very clear. Let's do well for our, you know, for our students and for our partners. And that'll that'll reflect well on us. Um, in other industries, it's possible to reverse that. You know, there are industries, yeah, investment banking, do well for yourself. That's what you're told. <laughs> And the, the bank will do fine. That's not the way we work. So you, so you're a, a man where I don't think your blood pressure uh, varies very, you know, that much. It was a pretty steady guy in that regard. So tell me, so the young Andy Rosen, when you were a young person, a student, right, a boy, were you as sort of was that sort of your personality? Because I'll see kids that are very calm. They don't sort of jump at the first thing. They're not as anxious in that regard. Have you always sort of been this? calming presence? Is that something that was commented on about you as you grew up? Well, you know, that, that's hard to say. I I, uh, I sometimes tell my kids about when I was a kid, this is, you know, and then I think about it, it was like, you know, maybe it wasn't as smooth and comfortable <laughs> as, as it, you know, as uh, the stories that I tell. So it's hard to judge myself, but I, I definitely was not the, um, I was not the crazed person in, in my, in my group. I was, I did tend to you know, say, well, let's, let's think about this a little bit. Let's, uh, I was probably a little more long-term oriented even then. I think it's fascinating now. I mean, we have young people that they're thinking about how many companies they're going to start, right? It's a very different generation. And we think about entrepreneurs and the personality types that may be needed for the long haul to be able to handle, uh, hold on to anxiety and risk of companies and boards and these sorts of things. I think it's fascinating to hear about someone who's obviously been very successful in the way in which they approach their 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 profession. Let's talk. I want to go back to the book a little bit. So, the title of the book is Change.edu, and here's the key: what really caught my eye, even right out of the package here, rebooting for the new talent economy. So the term rebooting, I, you know, look, books, we're very intentional with our titles and our subtitles and these sorts of things. So tell me about the word rebooting, because to me, it implies that we had something going, but maybe we needed to press the reset button to some degree. So help me sort of deconstruct the rebooting com component when we think about the new talent economy now 10 years uh, forward. Yeah, well, I, I think that uh, it's been clear for a long time that um what our education system sees as its goals doesn't always align with what our economy needs for, uh, you know, for its future. It's, it's like, you know, there's a pipe that goes through education and that pipe is not connected to the, the, the work pipe. And uh, I think at Kaplan, we've always seen ourselves as being kind of a bridge, kind of a, a you know, a joint that can that can pull those uh, those pipes together and bring this bring the system together, and we do that. You know, as, as you mentioned, a lot of people know Kaplan for our, our test preparation, but we are, a, you know, a very broad education company. Um, we work with, as you say, uh, hundreds of universities around the world to help them uh, deliver on their goals, and 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 thousands of companies to help them deliver on their goals, and. And a big part of, of our work with them is to help universities ensure that their students are work ready when they leave and ensure with, with companies 
that the, their employees can be successful in their jobs. So, you know, people think of us oftentimes with, as, you know, test preparation or in university enablement, because those are among our, our biggest businesses. But in some ways, uh, the largest part of Kaplan is partnerships with universities and companies to, to ensure that these individuals that we're serving through their lifetime can be successful as, as workers. Talk about higher ed. I know that's such a big uh, percentage, I guess, of partnerships and, and sort of the work that Kaplan is doing uh, across the world. And if there's ever an, a, a subset of an industry that has just been in constant flux, it's higher ed. Yeah. Um, talk about wanting to be sort of uh, consistent and patient in what you're doing as a company and also serving a sector with so much change that had even a sort of a even a bigger shift underneath it when it came to COVID and sort of what do we you know, students saying, am I getting what I need out of this? Does it help to support the jobs that I want? And am I meeting the needs of future employers? I would imagine that that is a bit of a, not that it's a tightrope, but you've got to really be sort of on the cusp so that you can support a partner like a university. Is that fair? Well, it is and it isn't. Um, you know, I think, you know, universities are rightly starting to feel stressed about where their future is going, both you know, and there's the perception issues of whether universities are delivering value. There's the, you know, all the polling that says that, um, you know, the public is, and, and not to mention politicians and so on, are getting concerned about what's going on at our universities. But beyond that, you know, you've got a demographic cliff coming up in which there are fewer people um, uh, emerging from, from our, our middle schools and high schools. Uh, and you And you've got institutions that are essentially consolidators that are going to be taking up more and more students. So a lot of universities uh, are, let's say, one or two presidents away from real problems. Like the next president that a lot of universities hire is really important to whether that institution uh, survives. And we see ourselves, and we I think that the university community sees us as a partner in helping to navigate these these uh, you know choppy waters that are that they're facing, so typically we can walk into a university and you know the university president has a list of sort of ten priorities, and we can significantly move the needle on say four of them. So let's say that they want to internationalize their campus. Well, we can bring uh, bring students from overseas to their campus. We can open up a campus for them. Um, uh, overseas, we can help them integrate their international population into the existing population. We can bring, we can make them a more uh, successful institution for international students. We can help make sure that their students are work ready. So with programs like the ones you talked about at the top of the show, Career Corps, uh, which uh, supplements the career office uh, of a university, the, the university career office is is a almost an automatically a an inefficient operation because you can't have experts in the energy industry and in the digital media industry and so on. We can serving a broad range of universities, and so we can sit atop the career services um, offices at many universities and provide more detailed programs or um, how we call credigree which in which we can take somebody who's let's say getting a liberal arts degree and supplement that with an industry recognized credential. 
So you may, might get an English degree, but you uh, add to that a, uh, a cybersecurity certificate. You know, our, our research shows that that student who's got an English degree plus a cybersecurity certificate is very attractive, whereas one of them alone may not be, you know, nearly as, as appealing. Um, we obviously can can help enable uh, online for for a university. So, you know, there are universities that are well behind the curve. We can get them up to speed very quickly in delivering online programs. And by the way, you know, one of the um, undertold story of the pandemic from an education standpoint is that uh, companies like Kaplan back in the 90s were were grinding it out, building online uh, programming for uh, for professional programs, for test prep programs, but also for higher ed institutions and building technologies and processes and pedagogies. And thank goodness we did in that period. I mean, this is against withering criticism from essentially all of academia. So that's a terrible idea. That's, you know, that's the worst. That's not even, doesn't even count as education. We kept grinding it out, not just us. There were other other companies as well who were, um, but a relatively small number. Eventually, we we demonstrated enough market demand that more traditional universities started to get into online education and started to build some of their own capabilities. And when the pandemic hit, there was some expertise. There was there was a there was a playbook. Now. There are universities who went into it without really having prepared, without having the experience, and they didn't do a great job, but they were able to offer continuing, uh, you know, a, a continuing university experience of some sort for students. The whole system around the world didn't collapse. And I think a lot of that was because there were innovators 20, 30 years ago who were thinking about these issues and creating the, the platform on which you know, the entire world depended when, you know, in March of 2020. It's the great irony, right? So the, the pundits out there are, you know, society in general will say education moves too slow, you know, and yet then, but on the innovation side, if you start and you grind it out, right, and you're sort of being very methodical with it, at some point, it's going to, it's going to come and, and pay dividends because we're going to need that resource. Well, you know, at some time, I, I, you know, I always want to do research on this, but in, you know, the, when it was the 30s or 40s, or you know, the the American higher ed system decided decided that it was perfection. That this is the absolute best way to deliver an educational experience. And the problem with declaring perfection is that anything different is by definition worse. And so, what you found in, in education, higher education in particular, but really all forms of education, is that anytime you try to do something different, there are a lot of people around who say that's terrible. You're trying to dilute education. You're trying to ruin education. Well, you know what? It's only you need some people who are willing to say, well, I'm doing it anyway, and I'm going to keep pushing even against, uh, you know, some of the tides to to do it and to prove that there's a there's a market demand, that the result, the outcomes are are uh, are high quality and so on. And only then will people suddenly agree and then they'll declare that they knew it all along i mean that that's just a a standard there's a good schopenhauer quote on that that i won't cite here but uh, <laughs> um but but anyway the, the that we've seen that again and again so yes education is slow moving yes you know education tends to resist change but if you keep on pounding away 
um, and prove the outcomes, you'll you'll get there eventually. But again, it goes to what we talked about earlier. You got to have a long-term orientation to do that. So with the book, so if there was a chapter, if you're going to update this book and you wanted to add a chapter, where would it be? Would it be credentials? Would it be sort of work, you know, work ready skills? What are we talking about that you think? Because you hit on a lot of things here that I think not only appeal to people in the industry, but I think also to parents. I mean, when we talk about sort of that club uh, nature of college, I mean, some of that stuff, you just, you know, I've seen documentaries on that and you just kind of shake your head and say, well, what are we really selling here? So I think you brought up some really thoughtful, some might say provocative, but I think it was just truth telling in that regard. So what would be the next truth telling chapter from Andy Rosen? Well, um, I think that there, there are a lot of them. I think that the, the book and the recommendations and the, you know, the predictions that I uh, put in the last chapter have held up pretty well, but uh, one thing that I think I think is still uh, not as embraced as it should be is that higher education is increasingly going to be global. That is, uh, you know, we we make this assumption that American students are going to go to American institutions, and um, and in fact, education feels inherently uh, local. But when you have a digital education, it doesn't matter where it comes from, as long as it's uh, High quality, and there are a lot of you know uh, entrepreneurial, high uh, intensity, you know, focused uh, operations around the world, at universities and in companies, and over time they are going to become uh, significant competitors to the American to, to the American system, and that you know in some ways is all to the good, but it also is a great opportunity. So like we should be thinking about taking the, the advantage that America has as the gold standard for uh, global education and becoming an importer of students. There's a, a, a huge opportunity, but there is a, the, um, the future of education will be borderless. And, you know, again, when I say that, I don't mean in five years, you know, if anybody tells you that in five years, things are gonna be totally different in education, they're, they're not understanding that things don't flip the way they do in other parts of the economy. It'll, it'll take, a decade, two decades, you'll start to see the movement. But um, I still think that American institutions assume that their competitors are the ones that they can see. And their competitors over over the course of the next decade or two are going to be ones that they, they don't necessarily see. Indian universities, uh, Singaporean universities, Australian universities, or companies that, you know, or, or providers who aren't linked to universities at all. And we're seeing that you know, on a more domestic basis already, where students are finding that they they don't need to go to a university; they can get their um, credentialing somewhere else, or they, or just their learning. Let's close with this, Andy. So, I want to talk about sort of the size of a company like Kaplan, and then we've got startups all over the place. So, on one hand, we want the steady, right? We want the 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 solid rock of a company that's been there, that has grinded it out, that has the history and the the knowledge. Um, that you can't just, in essence, acquire or buy, right? Um, and you've got then you you have the new folks on this on the scene, and there's this really delicate balance, I think, in the education ecosystem of those that want to participate and maybe start a company, but maybe that don't understand how things work on sort of the the chessboard that you can have a Kaplan and you can have a, a group of startups and you can collaborate together. And I think that message could be incredibly important as we start to see 
people understand that there are so many other jobs in education outside of either being an educator or an administrator. You can say, I want to support education and work on the private side. You can work on the public side. You can work for a startup. You can work at a Kaplan. But I think it's important to understand sort of the relationship. It's not an either or, isn't it an and? Oh, it definitely is an and. And in fact, I, I view Kaplan as uh, less purely a company than an ecosystem. An ecosystem that includes, you know, our own programs, but our programs, that, programs that we offer with uh, partners and, and and companies. I mean, we work with a lot of those startups uh, who do things really well, and, and we admire them, and we um, uh, work with them. You know, the the you want that energy. You know, you like you like as much as possible to be able to build that entrepreneurial spirit within your own company. And we, I think, we've got plenty of examples of that. But we're never going to catch, uh, you know, find our way into all of the opportunities and crevices that exist around the world. And, you know, Kaplan is very much a global company. You know, we, um, I think one of the, you know, one of one of our key strengths is that we've got teams, you know, like full on teams in, in every major, you know, uh, you know, country in, in the world that we, you know, who are our people. So, you know, we can go into Beijing uh, you know, or uh, or Bangkok, and have our people, just like our people in Boston or LA, or you know, there there are folks. You know, so you go to in, in Bangalore or Delhi. That that's that's important to be able to trust the people you're working with and operate around the world. I mean, again, this is part of us trying to build the company that for the needs that we think education is going to have over the course of the next couple of decades. Well, I love that you used the word, that you echoed that with regards to Kaplan being an ecosystem because I think an ecosystem, it's an invitation as well uh, to those innovators outside, and I think that that is a really key component for anybody who's listening in that regard, whether you're a parent or someone who's working in education or, or just cares about our society in general, right? That ecosystem sort of approach, I think, definitely mirrors what I've experienced with you as being very open and welcoming in that regard and transparent with a company that's been around a long time, but doesn't see itself as you know having the answer, uh, but it works toward finding the answer. And I think that that can serve all of us for the better. We want to thank Andy Rosen. He's the chairman and CEO of Kaplan. Andy, where should people go to look at the latest and greatest of what Kaplan is doing around the world? Well, you can start with Kaplan.com. That would be the, uh, you know, the starting point to learn about Kaplan. Wonderful. Okay. We won't give out your cell phone or your, <laughs> your email, but look, Andy's a great guy. I think if you run into him at a conference, you know, uh, bend his ear, he's, he's incredible as a leader and having conversations that make you feel a part of it in that regard. So truly an ecosystem, you can check out Kaplan.com. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.